Hi, everybody. Welcome into the Irish NFL show. Delighted to be joined this weekend by a fantastic draft analyst, Matt Miller, uh, formerly a Bleacher Report, now covering the draft prospects for ESPN ahead of the NFL draft in just under three weeks' time. Matt, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, Matt, can you maybe talk to us? Maybe I, I'm not sure because we, we ask everybody this question that comes in the show, but have you any Irish heritage yourself? Have you ever been to Ireland before? I've never been to Ireland. Uh, definitely have a lot of Irish heritage uh, with the last name Miller. Probably not a huge surprise there, but yeah, all German Irish here. Um, it's definitely on my, my bucket list of places to get to. Uh, last year, we did a, uh, a game in uh, London. I went over there for Bleacher Report and we did like a like a pub tour kind of thing where we just went around and met some of our fans and listeners who were in that area. So uh, very much hoping to extend that to Ireland someday soon. Yeah, if you can uh, do a pub tour, uh, definitely uh, Dublin is a place to do that. So you'll, uh, we, we would gladly welcome you to, to this little Emerald Isle, Matt. But um, I suppose, look, the, the, we have to start this with the, the tale of two uh, quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, if you go back to the Elite 11 in 2017, Lawrence and Fields, almost inseparable, referred to over the, the following years as like 1A and 1B. And yet, over the last few weeks, we're just a few weeks out from the draft, and all of a sudden, field stock seems to be dropping, or at least that's the talk. Um, but Lawrence remains the consensus. You know, he is going to as as number one. What um, I know you're high on fields, but what what are your thoughts in terms of you know the the narrative around him? Yeah, I think it's really interesting, as you said, that this Justin Fields has been in the spotlight since he was 15 years old, and he's handled it exceptionally well. You know, from the time at Georgia, the true freshman, the transfer to Ohio State, playing two years there, never losing a game in the Big Ten, and being a great leader with everything that was going on in our country over the summer with the, the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the Let Us Play movement that he really helped author uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so many things that they did, uh, I think, just shows the leadership. So, it's very confusing, right, to look at all Justin Fields has done. And, and I said this to a, a colleague yesterday. It's like if you put a blindfold on and I said, there's a quarterback who's six foot three, 230 pounds. He runs a 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. He has a strong arm. Uh, he was the most accurate quarterback under pressure of any quarterback in this draft class. He never lost a game in conference. Uh, you would think, okay, that's the number one pick, but it, it's not. He's being talked about as maybe the fifth quarterback drafted. So it is very confusing because, and I think the reason that it's being brought up so much is because it doesn't match. Like what we see on tape doesn't match with the draft projection for Justin Fields. So that's where folks like myself kind of raise our hand and be like, hey, this isn't right. Like where, where's the disconnect from what you hear from NFL sources, what you hear from team sources, and then where you see him and where you think he should be drafted. So I, I can't remember a disconnect like this. Now it happens often where teams will like a player that I don't, you know, I'll be like Daniel Jones, a good example of that. I didn't see it. I didn't see him being as good as the New York giants thought he was. That happens often. It's rare for it to go this way though. And uh, Matt, and then another quarterback, you know, we talk about the two quarterbacks there, like one A and one B, but one quarterback that's literally shot up the draft board is Mac Jones. I mean, you know, up to about February, March, he was he was looked at 10 to 15 in the draft board. The 49ers have made that move. Now the talk is that they're going to select Mac Jones. But yet, when you look at all the draft analysts, and as fans, we look at the, 
I mean, we look at the film and weak arm, weak as arm of the five, weak as mobility. But yeah, he seems to be shooting up the board and most of the big board analysts have him at, as the fifth quarterback. What's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, and it all goes back to where he'll be drafted. It's based on one team, the San Francisco 49ers loving him. And I don't want to take anything away from Mac Jones. He's a good quarterback. He's a very good quarterback. He's accurate. He's smart. He's very poised. Those are all things that you really like about him. But you are absolutely right. And that's something I've been saying. He is the least mobile of the five. He has the weakest arm of the five. He also has uh, tied with Trey Lance for the least amount of experience, only 17 starts in college. And he, he did that with elite all-star talent around him. So the one thing with Mac Jones that you've never seen him have to do is carry his team because he had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Last year he had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. He's had great offensive linemen like Jedrick Wills, Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson. So we've never seen Mac Jones have to go be the guy. Like we've had to see Justin Fields be the guy after that hit by James Skalski against Clemson. You know, we've had to see Trey Lance carry a team. We've had to see Zach Wilson really carry a team. So my biggest concern with Mac Jones is that he's never had to carry a team. And I, I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's one of those questions that we've, we've never seen him do it. And so I think that when you scout quarterbacks, you want to find out, okay, what can he do? And then what are my unanswerable questions? And with Mac Jones, the unanswerable question is, he, if he's drafted to San Francisco, he might be on a team with fewer playmakers than he had at Alabama. So what can he do on his own to elevate the players around him? Yeah, I mean, he will He will at least have George Kittle there, uh, Matt. So he might have one. Right, he's pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but I agree, I agree. It's not like he's going to have the, the superior receiving uh, talent that he did have in Alabama. Take, taking that point, though, Mac, uh, Matt, I'm going to take it away from Mac and from uh, Zach and from Trevor and all the, the fly boys at quarterback position. The most intriguing prospect for me in this draft, purely because he's just being regarded as so superior as a pass catcher in the moment, is actually, for me, Carl Pitts. I mean, obviously, four is the highest any tight end's ever been drafted. I think it's Dicker and Kramer uh, back in the 50s and 60s. We have had Kellen Winslow and uh, Vernon Davis go in the top 10, obviously, more recently. But we're not talking about a bad draft, even at wide receiver. We've got Devante, we've got, you know, lots of great talents there. But over and above all of them, it seems to be Carl Pitts is being put out there as the best pass catcher, the most dynamic offensive weapon. Um, and there's a real strong possibility he could go at four to the Falcons. Um, what's your thoughts on him as a prospect? And does he deserve that reputation? I think he does deserve that reputation. And like you said, it's we haven't seen tight ends be regarded like he is. I think the reason for that is he's not just a tight end, right? You know, he is an offensive weapon. Uh, he, you, you t I heard someone say today, take the initials away from the front of his name because he's not just a tight end. He's not just a wide receiver. He's a little bit of both. And that value in the NFL game is so huge right now. You know, we've seen what Travis Kelsey means to the Kansas City Chiefs, what George Kittle means to the San Francisco 49ers, Darren Waller with the Las Vegas Raiders. We know how valuable a great tight end can be. And that is what Kyle Pitts is. You know, he is a great matchup problem. And we've started to see defenses do that with Jamal Adams and Derwin James, and Isaiah Simmons. But now offenses have to counter that and say, okay, we need our own weapon, our own positionless matchup player. And to me, that's what Kyle Pitts is. He's a positionless matchup player who, for a, a smart offensive coordinator, you can put him in a billion matchups to really frustrate and threaten the defense. 
just wondering Matt, what your what, what your thoughts are on obviously it's not probably going to be an issue for guys in the top 10 you know you, you look at Sewell going to be four for fifth he was an opt-out last year do you think it's going to maybe cause an issue down the board in the draft for guys that have decided to opt out maybe the guys that don't stand out too much or do you think it isn't really an issue because last year was almost a write-off no, I do think, and I saw a report today, there are some teams that don't want to draft a player who's opted out. And I think there's probably a line of demarcation where you say, okay, at, you know, we're not going to draft a player who opted out in the top 10. There might be some teams who feel that way. But, you know, Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell and Rashad Slater are going to be drafted very early, and they all opted out. So I think, you know, there are teams who can say things like, oh, we don't want opt-out guys. But I think there's another level to that. You know, like Caleb Farley opts out because of a, a situation where, with his family where, you know, there's a family member who had, a, I want to say it was cancer. He's opting out to protect the family member. I don't know how you can hold that against the player, right? Or, you know, there were definitely players who opted out because of high draft stock. But when you're given that option, how is that any different than a player not playing in his bowl game? which we see guys do all the time and we're okay with, you know, for a yeah. top player, like, you know what, I'm not going to play in the bowl game. I'm going to get ready for the draft. We're okay with that. So given that option this year, I'm on the side of these players. What did they do to hurt themselves over the last year? Nothing changed. Trey Lance is still who he was, you know, in 2019. Jamar Chase is still who he was in 2019. So I think sometimes, you know, scouts look for things to be upset about almost. And, and this seems like their new thing that they want to be upset about. Matt, I, I suppose if Kyle Pitts is, is one of the most interesting and intriguing players, that the Falcons are one of the most intriguing teams in this draft at, at four. It seems like they're, you know, flirting with trading back if somebody makes them the right offer. Do you think somebody will give them what they're looking for? Or, or if they were to stay put, what do you think they likely do with that pick? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, yes, I do think if they want to trade back, if they say, okay, the move for us is to trade back, I do think they would find a suitor. They would find someone who would say, okay, we'll give you, you know, the, the first future first-round pick that it's probably going to take to move up. Someone would meet that that demand. I, I definitely think that. The, the question for Atlanta is, do they want to? Do they really want to trade back? I'm sure that, you know, you see a, a team give up, the San Francisco 49ers give up two future first-round picks and a third-round pick, and you say, okay, like, we would entertain trading back. you got to – you have to take those phone calls, right? But will they actually do that? I'm inclined to believe that they'll stay at four and use that pick, whether it's on a quarterback of the future or on Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase, someone who can open that offense up even more and give them an opportunity to hopefully make another Super Bowl run with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Matt, one player that you know, I find very intriguing further down the board, defensive, um, defensive end, uh, rusher, you know, rusher on the quarterback, is Jalen Phillips. You know, two years at UCLA before he transferred to Miami. And um, you know, they talk about the off-field stuff that's potentially pushing him down the board. But I've seen loads of people say that he potentially is the best rusher in the draft. But yeah, where do you, where do you see him landing? Do you still see him as a first-round talent? And will he go in the first round? Yeah, I think Phillips is a first-round talent, absolutely. And it's tough because the, with concussions, you just never know, right? If that's something that's going to be a long-term issue, if it's something that is not going to be a long-term issue. It's not like an ACL where we can say, okay, he's nine months removed from the ACL, he's going to be fine. It, it's very different. So um, it wouldn't be a shock if he fell out of the first round because of that. Um, but again, I do think he is a first-round talent. I, I happen to think he's the best pass rusher in the draft class. It is just a matter of uh, how teams view the medical issues, especially this year, 
you know, as we're talking here uh, on Friday, players are in Indianapolis doing their medical checks, and, and team doctors are going to have to make that call of, do we, do we believe that this is a player that we can invest five years in, four years in, you know, in your rookie deal, that they believe, hey, he's going to be fine. He's going to be on the field for us. These issues are in the past. He played every game at Miami last year, so we're good with it. But that's that's going to be a situation where you're going to have your, your grade on him as a scout, and then your doctor, your team doctor, is going to come in and say, well, actually, like, here's the deal on if we should draft him or not. You, you could argue the medical combine is probably more important than the pro day to a certain extent. It, it absolutely is. I, I think I, I tweeted this. It's arguably the most important event on the calendar this year because of COVID, where scouts weren't going into schools and making those school visits. You know, they, they don't, they didn't have the access to players this year. So this medical pro day where you can, you can learn a lot about a football player watching film. You can learn a lot about the person from talking to connections, doing zoom interviews, things of that nature. But the medical stuff, the only way to, to really figure that out is to evaluate the person and, and evaluate the injury. So I, I do think it's, the most important event between now and the, the NFL draft. Yeah, we, we, we had Michael Lombardi on the show last week, actually, Matt, and he was alluding to the fact of trying to test and understand the character of a person, alluding to the fact that colleges used to tell people the truth and that now they probably uh, obfuscate a little bit more so it becomes harder to, to determine that point. He was uh, uh, lamenting on that aspect. It was really interesting. Um, I know, obviously, tonight, Matt, and look, thank you for dialing in. We know you're having broadband uh, challenges in your local area, which is why you aren't on video with us. But coming into the draft, obviously, there have been some teams historically that maybe, we'll say, politely have had communication issues. Um, uh, we were only talking about it on our Friday night show recently. Um, the Ravers have had a spotted history, particularly under Al Davis. I think, personally, of Jamarcus Russell, Darius Hayward Bay going, uh, I think, seventh overall. And of course, even drafting Seabass in the first round. But there doesn't really seem to be that kind of maverick anymore of just doing something bizarre, unless we can count on Jerry Jones to take control of the giraffe for the Cowboys. Is it becoming a bit boring in the sense that everyone's analyzing things the same way and being very staid or being very conservative? Or do you think there's a particular team or GM that has the potential to do something dramatic when we are as we will be live in the middle of the night uh, following and covering. <laughs> right. Yeah, I do think there's still those, those maverick or wildcard teams. You know, you mentioned everyone thinks it's Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think Mike Mayock and the, the Las Vegas Raiders are a team. You know, last year selecting Damon Arnett at 19 overall. That was a shock. Uh, drafting Cleveland Furl at number four overall. That was, that was a shock, you know? So I think there are still teams that, that do things their own way, and it leads to – some of that, you know, uh, confusion, basically, you know, where you're sitting on the desk draft night and you, you get the producer in your ear saying, hey, the Raiders have picked Damon Arnett. And you're like, what, what, what round is it? Did I fall asleep? You know, is it, is it round three already? So you still get those. There's still that opportunity for the surprise picks. Um, I think last year we didn't get a lot of those because of, you know, here in the States we had, you know, so many protocols because of COVID where you weren't able to go and evaluate players after, you know, the middle of March. So the draft was somewhat predictable because teams were drafting players, good players, you know, more than anything. It was, it was somewhat of a, a boring and predictable draft that way. This year, I think teams are going to be all over the place because they didn't have the access to the players at all this year. And so, you know, one team's board is probably not going to be as, you know, close to a, another's, you know, 
the, the Raiders and the Broncos draft boards are, are going to be wildly different because of their, their different access points this year. Matt, I know you have to go to Sports Center very soon, so we're, we're going to try and do one more very quick round of questions. Just for me, Matt, uh, you've had a crazy few months. You know, you, you only joined ESPN in February. How have you found it? It, it must be a very exciting experience. Uh, it's, it's incredibly exciting and, and very rewarding. You know, uh, you guys mentioned earlier, I spent a decade at Bleacher Report, which was amazing. It was, you know, my, my dream job. And it, it was great because I felt like I'd helped to build something there. Um, deciding to leave Bleacher Report and, and do my own thing and then join ESPN, it's been fun because you know, the, in every profession, there's like that one place that's at the top, you know, where it's the pinnacle of your profession. And, and that is ESPN, especially for NFL draft coverage. Uh, I, I, not being biased when I say I don't think anyone does it better. So it, it's been it's been really fun. Uh, everyone, the support from you know my new colleagues has been amazing, um, and I'm I'm really excited to you know see what the future brings. Matt, um, you mentioned uh, the the Broncos uh, just a, a couple of minutes ago. I'm curious to know what you think that they might do with that number nine pick. Obviously, George Payton has come in. He's re-signed a lot of the guys on defense. But there are questions around Drew, Drew Locke, will, and will they run it back? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, there are definitely questions, you know, about about Drew Locke, and, and you got a new general, excuse me, new general manager coming in, and George Payton. So I would say that Denver is the team that I'm watching most closely to see if they will trade that pick, if they will move from nine, whether it's to four or higher, to try to get one of the quarterbacks, or if they believe they can stay at nine and get one of the quarterbacks, whether it is Justin Fields or Trey Lance. Uh, so I, I think they're a team that you have to watch. So anytime you get a new general manager coming into a situation, you almost have to believe that they would like to get their own quarterback in there. And, and maybe George Payton took the job knowing that maybe he's okay with Drew Locke as his quarterback. But I, I think they're one of the more intriguing teams in this draft. Matt, I suppose we've seen over the years, it's not necessarily around the four, about the first round pick. It's, you know, it's, it's building a, a team through the draft, you know, second, third round. We saw last year, Winfield Jr., second round, how much he contributed to the books. Is there any player that you feel potentially could drop out of the first round into the second, or I suppose the other way, potentially who's scouted as a second round that could end up in the first round? Yeah, I think guys who, you know, yes, there will be a lot of players who fall out of the first round and, and we'll be sitting there Friday morning being like, oh my gosh, this guy, he's going to be such a good player. He's going to be a contributor when he gets here. Um, I would say Pat Freermuth, the tight end from Penn State. I know he's not the most you know, twitchy athletic player, but he's such a good all-around tight end. And I think someone's going to get a steal uh, early in the second round when they draft him. He'll be a starting tight end in his rookie year. So I, I think he's a player that um, we were all really high on before the year. Then, you know, the, the Big Ten season is kind of a mess, and I, I think folks have forgotten about him. On the other side of that, um, you know, as somebody who – I think Gregory Russo from Miami is a player right now who – I get this feeling that those of us in the media are higher on him than a lot of NFL teams are. So he'll be an interesting guy for me to watch and see, like, where's the landing spot? Does he, does he go in the first round? Where I think every mock draft had him when the season began, coming off that, you know, 19-and-a-half tackles for a loss, 15-and-a-half sacks breakout season for the hurricanes last you know in 2019 or you know is the opt-out affecting him our team saying you know the pro day really wasn't very good but i think he's one of the more intriguing names uh, to keep an eye on interesting you say him you know majority of the draft picks had him potentially the giants 11 minnesota 14 and now he's down in the 20s to the 30s side of things yeah yeah and it's and again it's off of not 
not playing football, right? It wasn't like we didn't see anything on his tape in 2020 that was like, ooh, you know, let's, let's get down on this player. So I, I think that those are kind of the interesting storylines that we'll be watching, you know, Thursday is to, to compare, you know, where we were on these players in, in August and September to where we, we are at with them on April 29th. Um, Matt, these boys are bored of me repeating this stat, but I think I love it, is that the quickest five quarterbacks have come off the uh, draft has been 12 picks back in 1999. And it's legitimately in question, that record this year. However, we have seen, and kind of following on from Brian's question there a little bit, we have seen the grumpy quarterback or the grumpy star player that's expected to go in the top 10 suddenly start sliding we, we think of Aaron Rodgers we think of Brady Quinn you know give us your best crystal ball prediction who is that player who's there in person and is sitting there waiting far longer and every 10 minute increment is feeling longer and longer and longer um that you think is going to be there going you shouldn't have really come to this this has gone on a bit longer than I expected right? to be I think the guy who I just mentioned and Gregory Russo could be that player where we're looking at him saying, what, like, why are you still on the board? He is attending the draft, which surprised me, you know, a, a trick in our industry is we get that list of who's attending the draft and you can almost be like, okay, this is a, this player will be drafted in the first round. So when you do your final mock draft, you're like, Oh, I got to make sure I get, you know, Christian Barmore in there. I got to make sure I get Gregory Russo in there. But again, everything I'm hearing from teams is that he's, he's really not expected to be a first round pick. So Maybe there is that one club out there that says, you know what, we, we're okay with, with the fact that he opted out. We're okay with the bad pro day. His 2019 tape was elite. We're good with it. There, there might actually be that team out there, and maybe he, he comes up the board earlier than I'm expected. But we also have a smaller green room this year. You know, not as many players. So we're, we're not going to get the, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, uh, Johnny Manziel type weight uh, that we, we've come to get used to. Matt, we massively appreciate your time. You obviously, you're a very busy man at the minute with a draft coming on with, with ESPN and stuff. I want to hope you uh, just, just obviously wish you the very best in, in the lead up and just after the draft as well. And hopefully we can chat to you again soon, man. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thank you for working around my, my internet issues and everything tonight. I appreciate it.